Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast here. Graham Bolden here. I'm excited for you to join us for another exciting episode of the show. Today, I'm going to be uh, sitting down and chatting with my good friend, Ravi Rajani to talk about all things storytelling. Now, Ravi is a, a professional speaker who helps B2B sales teams leverage stories to sell better and... Not only that, he is one of our amazing facilitators here at the Speaker Lab. He works directly with our students. So I'm excited for you to check out this episode. Now, we all understand as speakers that storytelling matters, but how do you put this into practice and what does it look like to become a great storyteller? Well, Ravi's going to take us through his thought process on storytelling, and he's going to give us some practical tips to help you start collecting and polishing stories for your own presentation. So ready to dive in? All right, here's my conversation with Ravi Rajani talking all things storytelling. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolton here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Hey, I'm excited for uh, today's conversation. We're going to be chatting with a, a good friend, Ravi Rajani. Ravi actually went through uh, one of our programs inside the Speaker Lab uh, a couple of years ago, has been wildly successful and crushing it so much so that we we uh, begged him and pleaded with him, basically helped join the team. He's one of our facilitators, so he works with a lot of our students and, and shows like, hey, here's what's working right now. He's in the weeds, he's in the trenches, and now uh, he's kind of giving back and uh, supporting and helping our students, teaching them what's working uh, as he's on the front lines of speaking. Not only that, he's one of the handsomest men in all of speaking. You're going to have to check out the YouTube video for that. And he has an amazing accent. So the one-two punch there, Ravi Rajani. Welcome, man. Good to have you here. Grant, you know what's funny? My wife says, Rav, you know what my problem with you is? I said, what? She said, you catfish people. I said, what do you mean? And she said, wow. she said your picture is nothing. Like how you really are. I'm like, no, that's a lie. That is such a lie. And you've seen me in person. So hopefully there is congruency. But thank you for the compliment. I receive it with open arms, uh, especially being a first time dad la in 2022. It feels ages ago now, but I feel like I've aged 18 years and 18 months. But here we are, man. Here we go. There you are. There you are. That's awesome, man. Now, before today, we're going to spend a bulk of, of our time talking about storytelling. You are a master at storytelling. Stories are incredibly important for speakers to, to utilize. Uh, but before we get there, to just kind of give a little context, I tease there. Um, talk us through, like, when did you join with the Speaker Lab in terms of as a student? Kind of where were you at in your career at that time? Ooh, uh, it was after my wedding. I remember that. So it was probably on November 2021. So it's actually not not that long ago. And then yeah. I joined the VIP Accelerator and I became a facilitator inside of the VIP Accelerator. I'm just thinking about dates here. June 2022. Okay. 
Okay. And so you had joined, uh, and then at the time you were in the tech space doing sales work. Is that right? At the time I was focused on the skill set and niche, as you say in America, of storytelling, but I was serving different audiences at that time. You know, I was serving the B2B space, sales teams. I was working with some organizations. I was doing some work with entrepreneurs and consultants. And one of the big shifts for me was giving my focus on the B2B sales teams. And then in January, 2022, that's when I pivoted my entire messaging to focus on that one North star. So, Hey man, here we are. Very cool. And so for, and today, as you kind of alluded to, you're over in the London area, uh, how much speaking are you doing? Who are you typically speaking to? Uh, what's the, what's the snapshot of the business look like today? Yeah, man. So my typical audience is B2B sales teams and the large, I suppose the bulk of them are in the SaaS and tech space. And a lot of them are in North America. And one of the things that I think is important to me is having different ways I can support people through what I believe is my zone of genius and what I truly enjoy and lights me up. So for example, we have the keynote speaking piece and the workshops, and I also have a virtual story selling bootcamp that I offer for people who want to go deeper with me. Very cool. Uh, and so you kind of alluded to it there that that storytelling has been a powerful part of um, selling, uh, which we could kind of touch on. But also like storytelling is just a, it's a powerful tool that every speaker, regardless of the context of, of where you're speaking or what you're speaking about or who you're speaking to, storytelling is incredibly, incredibly important. So to kind of set the stage and the foundation here, like why is it that stories are so important for speakers to to master? I'm going to take it to the work of a dude called Pat Quinn. Do you know Pat by any chance from your world? I do. I do. Yep. Yeah. So I remember I heard Pat say this in the pandemic. So probably late 2020, early 2021. And he said, listen, you need to be as a speaker in the first few minutes of your presentation, extraordinary. And I remember thinking, what? Like, what do you mean? Does he mean just tell everybody about the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and all the sexy stuff that people want to hear? I don't have those. Uh, I'm not a car fan. But, um, the idea that Pat was actually talking about was being extra and ordinary are two sides of the same coin. And in the first few minutes of your presentation, you really want to humanize yourself and open up the hearts and the minds of the people that you deeply want to connect with. So on one side of the coin, Grant, we've got extra, which is, hey, I've overcame or overcome certain challenges and I'm currently sitting at this mountain. But if I just shared that, I'm just sharing successes and wins and the a, a linear journey, which the truth is, Life isn't linear, so our story shouldn't be either, right? Life is full of imperfection and non-linear moments, which is why we have to showcase the other side of the coin, which is ordinary, which is, hey, I'm just like you, a human being who mm -hmm. bleeds, cries, has moments of imposter syndrome, despair, failures. And when you put those two together, that's when you earn the opportunity to become somebody's trusted guide. So what I deeply believe is that, sharing an impactful story as you kick off your presentation is the most impactful way to be extraordinary, as Pat would say, but humanize yourself in the eyes of the people that you want to connect with. 
Which I think also leads into one of the things I think a lot about and I've talked to speakers about is the difference between first person stories and third person stories. So in the context of how you're kind of talking about it, it's important to tell what sounds like first person stories, stories that you've actually lived and experienced that humanizes you, that connects you with the audience, that shows them that, hey, I am just like you. Um, But how do you think about that in terms of first person stories versus third person stories? Because third person stories can be very, very powerful of, you know, something you heard about or some anecdote or story of like, you know, here's, you know, XYZ case study of Netflix or Nike or whatever, but also like, hey, here's some crazy story of this person that uh, uh, experienced this crazy thing in the 1800s and poof, now look at, you know, like there's all those different types of stories that you can tell that can be effective and powerful. But how do you think about first person stories that the speaker has lived and experienced versus third person stories? I think... I can't, I can't give you a clean answer because I think it, it has some nuance and context. But if I had to boil it down to basics, my perspective is a first-person story, Grant, allows and facilitates intimacy and connection. A third-person story can suffocate that if you don't do it mm. in a way that is contextual and nuanced to the people you're connecting with, the purpose of the presentation and all that good stuff. So, you know, if I told you a story, Grant, okay, actually, let's, let's go through a fictitious example. Let's say if the problem I'm solving for an audience is heightened imposter syndrome for new managers, which is preventing them from becoming impactful leaders, okay? Fictitious example. So I know that from the event planner that the problem that they struggle with is deep-rooted imposter syndrome. So if I come out on stage and I say, man, I got to tell you this thing. I was speaking to my buddy, uh, Jamie, the other day, and he said, yo, Rav, I'm struggling with blah, 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 bang. And I talk about Jamie's imposter syndrome. How connected would you feel to me? Uh, Probably not much. Yeah, man, I wouldn't personally. But if I talk about a moment in my life where... Mm -hmm. I struggled with a similar challenge and I can really connect with the audience because I've lived it. And you can also feel it in the delivery. You can feel it in the authenticity and the delivery of that human. When When somebody does that, it allows for more intimacy and connection versus if I tell you a story about Jamie, now where I think that story could be effective is a customer story embedded into that presentation later on if you're trying to inspire change about a client of yours for example so in that in that scenario it could work but if i'm talking about the first few minutes i personally think first person stories are great and if you are just starting out on your journey as a speaker maybe begin with a third person story to whet your appetite and get more comfortable with the process of storytelling yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I would rather err on the side of telling first-person stories, stories that I've lived and I experienced. I can tell them better. I lived them and I experienced them. Uh, but also, I would totally agree that I think it's just more relatable and connectable with the with the audience. So to that end, uh, I'm also curious, like, what, what do you feel like makes a good story? Because there's stories that you hear that uh, you're just immediately drawn into, that yeah. you're sucked into. You're like, man, that was amazing. Uh, and then some, you're just like, where is this going? And this just <laughs> feels like it's all over the map and it's a waste of story. Like, what's the difference between a, a a you know a mediocre story and a great story well let me ask you this brother who is one storyteller that you just you either look up to or you absorb their content you're like man i don't even know what time it is because i'm just in the moment 
Uh, good question. Uh, okay. There's a buddy of mine, Shane, uh, shout out Shane Sams, who's been on the podcast before. Um, and he is a very good storyteller and he's very funny, very humorous. And so when he tells stories, you just get lost in those stories. So he's, he's an excellent storyteller. That's beautiful. Okay. So I heard you say funny and humorous. So if we put that in one category and just say funny, are there yep. two other things that you believe he intentionally does when telling a story that helps him stand out? He, uh, well, one, they're all first person stories. So I'm thinking of a couple of specific stories oh. I've heard him tell. So they're first person stories. He was there. And so the way he tells the story, you feel like you're there. You can picture it. You can visualize it. So you're kind of pulling into the story for one. Uh, the other one is, I think, the kind of the... Um, the tone, the inflection, the animation that he has in telling the story, kind of it's captivating as well. So it's not like monotone. I mean, you're, you feel like he's reliving it, you know, and you're just, again, you're kind of sucked in with him. I love that, man. And it goes back to what you prompted me uh, to think about was the idea of showing versus telling. Don't you think that the best storytellers pull you into the moment? Meaning I could say, Grant, um, let me let me find something random. Grant, I saw the doctor and they told me I can't play tennis for six weeks. It's like, okay, cool. You just told me the, like a grocery Fun information. Yeah, exactly. Versus, yeah. dude, I remember it was about 6 p.m. last night and suddenly got a call on my phone. I'm like, who's calling me at this late, <laughs> this late in the evening? Who is that? And it says private number. I'm thinking, man, it better not be that doctor with the bad news. So I say, hey, mm. Ravi speaking. Hey, Ravi. It's Dr. Smith here. Silence. And I'm just making this up as I go, but you could see the difference between yeah. the two, right? One is pulling you in. The other one is giving you a grocery list of information. So I love that, man. You know, for me personally, when I look at storytellers who I look up to, for example, Jamie Foxx. Oh, man. He is yeah. so, I love his storytelling. I really love looking at comedians for their storytelling. So mm -hmm. Whether it's Agreed. Cal, uh, Jamie Foxx when he's on like late late shows and he tells these little stories it's beautiful and you know what's interesting about Jamie Foxx Grant he tells the same stories on different shows so he's got his very own story bank that I've heard him say about the first time he met Kanye the first time he met Ed Sheeran and it's funny you see him telling it on late late shows meaning it's intentional yeah. And people think people are winging it. Nah, nah, man. That, that, that's intentional stuff. So I love that about Jamie. But what I would say is different people who I look up to, they all, they all have one thing in common. When telling a story and showing up in whatever medium, they are one, unapologetically self-expressed. Two, they own their values. And three, they own their imperfections. And I think there's nothing more charismatic and magnetic as to when somebody can do that. But if you're listening to this right now, you're like, uh, okay, cool. How do I do that? Let's go to something maybe a little bit more tactical here. So if I had to pick a handful of things that I think great stories have, the first one is it follows a story arc, right, Grant? The worst thing is when you're hanging out with a buddy and they're like, man, I've got a story to tell you. And then there's an end, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and you're like, what was the point of that story? That kind of sucks. Yeah, all over the map. Yeah, man. It should, it should follow a story arc. The other thing is, is it should crush predictability. Meaning, I think the worst thing a speaker can do is come out on stage and say, let me tell you a story. 
I think it's the worst thing. It's the most predictable thing we can do, right? Because it's like me saying, Grant, by the way, in two minutes, I'm going to slap you in the face. So what's going to happen? You're going to be like, oh, bracing for it. And when I do it, what's the impact? Well, I knew it was going to happen. Everything went to plan. So I think that one of the most impactful things we can do in a story, start with a hook. Start with an unpredictable hook. The second thing is, is, and I know this sounds simple, but activate a relatable human being as the main character so that people can see themselves in the desires, the imperfections, the journey, and the transformation of that human being. I think that's super, super important. And why I say that is a lot of people often forget who is the main character of their story. Is it them? And that's fine if it is, as long as they're giving their audience significance versus themselves significance. But who is the main character of your narrative? I think it's important to define that and ensure your audience knows that. The next thing I would also think about is presenting a villain. Presenting a villain that everybody can relate to. So I'll give an example, Grant. When I was a kid, man, I used to love Aladdin. And I think a part of me used to think I was Aladdin, right? So one day, my mom and dad... You get that look. Yeah, I, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My, my wife is like, yeah, more like Abu the monkey, not Aladdin. I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> but anyway, so one one week, Grant, my mom said, Rav, we got a surprise. And I'm like, what? She said, we're taking you to Disneyland to go meet Aladdin and all the Disney characters. characters. Let's go. Dude, I'm hyped, right? So boom, I'm in Florida. I buy an autograph book and a Mickey Mouse pen. And I'm going around, dude, and I'm getting everybody's autograph. Suddenly, I see this huge long queue. I'm like, mom, who's that queue for? She says, Rav, that's for Aladdin. And then I see a queue next to Aladdin's queue and there's barely anybody in it. And I'm like, who's that queue? And she says, Oh, that one's Jafar's. That one is Jafar. And I hated Jafar, dude. That Those creepy eyebrows and that weird parrot. Oh, oh, yeah. No interest, bro. But I thought, you know what? I'm here. Let me do my thing. So one minute goes by, I'm sitting in the queue. Two minutes go by, I'm sitting in the queue. Three minutes and I get to the front. And I can't make this up, bro. I get to the front. I shove my autograph book in his face. And he looks at me. He stamps on my foot. And then he refuses to sign it. Oh, no. refuses to sign it. Now, I didn't know it was a part of the show, right? Yeah, yeah. So then he, it's part of the show. He wants a photo, and I'm confused. I'm like, what's going on here? But he wouldn't sign it, right? And I'm like, this dude, I don't like this guy, right? I'm not a fan of this dude. And when I went home, <laughs> that anger, and as you can tell, I have processed this story. I, I'm not. Uh-huh. Yeah, it. yeah. Sounds like you're healthy. <laughs> but when I went home, I used to love the victory that Aladdin and Jasmine had even more because of my disgust for Jafar. So here's why I'm telling you this, people. Who is the Jafar in the eyes of your audience? It may be another human being. It may be their former self. It may be the regulatory climate. Whatever it is, think about who the Jafar is in the eyes of your audience. So that's another thing I'll think about. I mean, I could go on, but I'll give you two more here. Um, The bigger the transformation, the more attention and transferability your story will have. Meaning, have you ever heard the story about the dude that had a six pack and then got an eight pack? I haven't because no one cares because the the delta between where that human was and where they are today is so small. But you love a zero to hero story, right? Because the gap of where that human being was and where they are now 
is huge. So I think a tangible transformation that unveils business value in a business setting is super, super, super important. The final thing I would say here, and as I said, I could go on with the ingredients, but I'm trying to pick my handful and the most favorite would be saying the following sentence. And here's why this matters to you. Mm. Because you and I have spoken earlier about people who tell stories which suck because you're like, well, hold on, what was the point of that moment? That acts as a bridge. And it acts as a bridge to teaching people with them, meaning what's in it for me? And tying it Mm -hmm. back to the problem and the problem that you're going to solve for them in that moment today. What do you think, brother? Anything I've said which resonates with you? Yeah, well, and I'd go back to, um, it was kind of interesting, you said to not lead with the, let me tell you a story. I actually like leading with that because it gets people's attention because people are hooked into stories. Like we touched on earlier, people love stories, people are drawn to stories. And so when you say, let me tell you a story, people are going like, okay, I don't know if this is going to be funny. I don't know if this is going to be serious. I don't know if this is going to be sad. I don't know if this is going to be, you know, uh, some major overcoming up. I don't know where the story is going, but it's a story and I'm in. And so I think like using that can be a hook. Now, again, like I think that's also one of the interesting things about speakers is, you know, one person saying like, ah, don't say this. Another person saying like, actually do say this. And like, you got to figure out what works for you. And some of this is just through trial and error and getting on stage. And this is also part of storytelling is as we talk about storytelling, like you're, we're making an educated guess. You know, if uh, something happens today, we're like, oh, that could be a great story on stage, but I got to kind of workshop it, massage it, think about it and try it in, in an audience and figure out the parts that work and the, the, the parts that don't work. So uh, one, one, another thing that kind of came to mind there is when you're thinking about stories and what works and what doesn't with a story, how do you think about like, should a story be serious? Should a story be funny? Uh, there are people who are like, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm funny. And so how do I incorporate humor into my story? So how do you think about like how humor fits into stories and whether or not it, it needs to even be there? Before we get into that, I love that you said, "Hey, I would start with let me tell me let me tell you a story." Yeah. This is the beauty about as you said, being a speaker because what works for one person may not work for you, and it's so important yeah. to listen to your your gut and own the parts of you which you want to show on stage. And if that works for you, brilliant. And I, and I actually, if we've got time at the end, I want to explore that because I'm curious to know like which speakers you've seen do that and in what context and what works well. But let's explore that at the end. But yeah, in answer to your question, how do you know what really was the question how do you know if you should be funny or not in a story or how yeah like i think a lot of times like speakers wonder about using humor and specifically in stories and they're like how do you know how do i make this more punchy or funny um but I think it's also important to note that like not every story has to be funny and not every story has to have some type of like punchline or big payoff at the end so how do you like how do you think about humor in the context of stories See, I think about it in a few stages. The first stage for me is forget humor, Rav. What's, what emotion are you trying to spark? What perspective mm. are you trying to shift? And how are you going to inspire change? Because really that's what happens. If you tell a story, it should evoke an emotion. And then that emotion can lead to a thought with which rather shifts somebody's perspective. And then as you travel through the journey of your presentation, I believe you should be inspiring change. 
Because really, that's all we're doing. We're selling change. Uh, you know, we're trying to shift somebody's behavior and help them lead a better life. If we actually be really generic with it, we're selling the good life. We need somebody to change, okay? Change their behavior yeah. so that they can operate in more alignment and their version of it. So the first thing is, hold on, okay. Thinking about that, going through that process, what emotion am I trying to elicit? What perspective do they have right now that isn't serving them? And what perspective do I want to give them? And how can I support them in creating change? So that's the first thing to think about. The second thing is, is I'll give you an example. I'm speaking in Italy in March. And one of the questions I asked the team was, what is the theme of your kickoff? Mm-hmm. The theme. Okay, and what energy would you want a speaker to bring to this presentation? And my energy, I look at it under the edutainment category, where I want to educate and entertain. Now, if somebody said to me, you know, we've got a really serious audience, you know, they they want very, they want a very serious speaker, no Mm -hmm. jokes, that's not their vibe. Well, then actually there's misalignment from the get-go. So, I, so actually, I think it all begins before even asking the question of, hey, should I be funny? Well, you know, what sort of joke should I be, begin with? It's thinking about, hold on, what would serve the audience? What would serve the company and the event planners? And then going, okay, which stories do I have in my story bank? Taking a look at them, filtering them by the pain that I'm being brought in to solve for. And then taking a look at the stories and which one would impact the audience most. Now, one may be humorous. One may be less humorous. One may be a bit more serious, but I'm serving the problem I'm solving, not trying to be like Jamie Foxx or trying to be like somebody I'm trying to model. It's serving the moment and who I am. Now, my energy is more jovial and that is who I am. So I'm going to bring that to a presentation. So for me, I don't think, okay, how can I be like a comedian? I think of how can I sprinkle comedic moments into this story, showcase Mm -hmm. the different versions of me. So there's moment of seriousness, for example, in the turning point and the conflict, there's moments of humor in the context and with the hook. And then there's this beautiful transition with the impact and call to conversation as I bring it back to the audience where I bring it down. So I I look at it as dialing up or dialing down the funniness, the seriousness and all that good stuff, but all focused, all depending on the problem I'm solving and the people I've come to serve. That's what it depends on. Yeah, ultimately, like kind of beginning with the end in mind there of uh, making sure that this there is, like you said, there is an alignment between what it is you're trying to communicate and what it is that that audience and that client may be looking for. Mm. Uh, I want to shift gears for a second. One thing you touched on there, you've kind of alluded to a time or two, is a story bank. Yep. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I, I think like you even alluded to with um, a Jamie Fox example of oftentimes they will tell the same type of stories and they kind of have this this reservoir or uh, bank of stories that they can kind of pull from. They may have 
you know, 50 different stories that they could use depending on the context. So what does that look like for you on a practical standpoint? How are you figuring out what makes the cut, what goes in there? How are you kind of workshopping, massaging the stories in there? Because just because like, okay, I, I remember that time I went to Disney and I had that interaction with Jafar and that was kind of weird. Like that alone is like a good starting point, but it doesn't necessarily turn into an amazing story. So what's kind of the process around that story bank, writing stories, crafting stories, determining what gets in, what doesn't make the cut with a, a story bank? Yeah, man, definitely. And it's funny you mentioned that piece on Jamie Foxx. You know, other people who I look at, for example, one comedian I find hilarious right now is Matt Rife. Do you know Matt Rife? Huh? Yep, yep. And his audience interaction is just incredible. But we're, we're, I yeah. digress. When you hear him on different shows about how he got started, it's the same narrative. So here's why I'm telling you this, you listening to this right now, is we want to remember that the best and the great storytellers, they may make you feel like they're winging it, but the level of precision, intention, and focus that has gone into crafting impactful stories is incredible. Kevin Hart was on one of the late, late shows, maybe last year or the year before. And he said, it takes him 12 to 18 months to craft a 60 minute comedy set. Mm -hmm. 60 minutes. But what he does is, is he road shows the content. Mm -hmm. Meaning he'll start off in local comedy clubs and then he'll graduate to bigger audiences and eventually he'll get to Madison Square Gardens. But here's why this is important to you people. Along that journey, of starting off at local comedy clubs. He's testing and tweaking different stories so that when he gets to a high stakes scenario, he's not thinking, will this work? It will be, this works, it's just it's to what extent rather. Or yep. actually, yep. I'm not a comedian, so I guarantee there's moments where things don't work, so don't take my advice on that, but you get what I'm saying. Now, how do you totally. get to that point where you're testing stories? Well, one thing somebody could do is start off for the next five days writing a story journal. And here's what I mean. Here's what you're gonna do, people, okay? Every day at the end of your day, you're gonna take a notepad and pen, and you're gonna write down the answer to these questions. Question one, what was the seemingly insignificant moment, or rather, actually, scrap that. Question one would be, name one standout moment that happened to you today. Okay, now it could be as something as silly as or insignificant as the postman got the wrong house and delivered you somebody's package, right? It doesn't have to be something big, but something noteworthy that happened that day. Okay, question number two. What was the date, time, and setting when that occurred? Question three. What was the challenge that happened in that moment? Question four. What was the turning point? What was the aha moment where things began to shift? Question five, what was the resolution of that moment? Question six, I think I said five questions, but I'm gonna give you a bonus. Question six, what is the moral of that story? And then don't think about that story again, done. Day two, do the same thing. Day three, day four, day five. On day six, look back at what you wrote. I can almost guarantee, almost guarantee there'll be one micro moment that you could turn into a micro story that could be worth testing 
to then eventually tweak and turn into a fully fledged story. So why I'm telling you this is building stories come from insignificant, seemingly insignificant micro moments, which can be transformed mm-hmm. into micro stories, which eventually graduate to making the story bank. Now, here's how I think about it, Grant, for me, and I'd love your take, brother. But if I think about something graduating to a story bank, really, I know that it's been trialed, it's been tested, and it works for my audience. But what I then need to do is start slipping the micro stories, which are worthy of testing, in day-to-day conversations, inside of presentations, or whatever it might be, but always in low-stakes scenarios. Check the reaction. Mm -hmm. Ask the feedback. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And test, tweak, iterate. As you continue to get more feedback, You'll continue to build momentum and confidence inside of that story, and then you can eventually add it to the story bank. Now, inside of the story bank, if you've just got 50 stories, it can be quite overwhelming. My suggestion would be filter them. Well, I sounded very British there. Filter, filter, filter them by something which will help you figure out if a story is worthy of use in your next presentation. For me, I like to think about the pain. Okay, this story, it solves for this problem, this pain. This story solves for this problem and pain. And as a result, I can easily figure out, like pieces to the puzzle, which story is gonna fit for which presentation and for the right audience. All right, so I would agree on the. I would absolutely agree on the uh, like sp- presenting a story in like a low stakes situation. So there's yeah. a um, uh, a guy that we've had on the podcast a couple times, Ron Tight. Uh, oh, yeah. So you can go look up episodes and interviews with him. He calls it the new two, uh, and he said in every presentation where oftentimes for speakers you're giving like the same. You know, I wouldn't say canned. Mm-hmm. I think that that's too. Um, too strong, but the same material that you've presented before. But he said he is always uh, going to present a new two, two minutes that he's never presented anywhere else. So right. he's always looking to add in some of those new that new material. And so to your point there, I think that is valuable of just you're, you're testing something, you're trying something. And it's not like this fully baked out story, but I'm just going to throw some pieces of it. And then if it sticks, if it works, then it's going like, okay, that the audience seemed to resonate with that. How do we add more to the story? How do we add some more details, some more color commentary to the story that just starts to make it more powerful? And all of a sudden you have the story that, you know, is like your Aladdin Jafar story that becomes this powerful story that you can use, but because it's kind of grown organically over time uh, versus just like, hey, I just, I nailed it right out of the gate, which kind of ties into my next question would be, when something happens and you have some, there's some type of story there, um, how do you balance the, like telling it off the cuff versus just being prepared and being polished? And so, like you mentioned, there is that fine line between a, a comedian, a storyteller who's, who's telling a story that is very well polished, but it doesn't feel over prepared and it doesn't feel like scripted and rehearsed, even though there may be elements that are like every time Jamie Foxx tells a story, he always says it this way because he knows that works. And so I always think about it like, 
if you were to ask you or I right now, like, hey, tell us about whenever you whenever you proposed to your wife, like you and I were both there, like we could we could tell that story. We lived that. But also, like if you gave us 30 minutes, 60 minutes and said, hey, go think about it and then come back and tell us that story. Like we could probably come back and tell a better story. So how do you balance the the that fine line between being prepared but not being over prepared? I love this question. I really do. So. I can tell you what works for me and I'm going to take it back to my early teens when one day my best friend said, Hey man, do you want to be in a play that my dad is writing? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay, let's do it. One play led to another, which led to another. And throughout that process, I started to fall in love with scripts absolutely fall in love with scripts. So obviously the first few performances, not that many lines, maybe a page here or a page there. But as time went on, I had the opportunity to work in some meteor roles, which required, which required me rather to learn maybe 50 pages of scripts. Hmm. I hated it at the time, but now it serves me so well. Meaning yeah. my process is the following. I'll write out a story. What's the hook? What's the context? What's the conflict? What's the turning point? What's the transformation? What's the impact for the audience? And then what's the transition moment? I'll write that down in those buckets. And then I'll say it out loud. Okay, and then I'll go, mm, didn't like that. Like a, like a Hollywood style table read, looking at the script. Yeah. I'll read it out loud. I'm like, mm, didn't like that. Don't sound like me. Change this, change that. Try it again. And then I try reading it again with the script. Okay, this feels more like me. Now, Rav, let's try and read the first three lines without the script. And I go through this process until I can deliver it without a script. Now, for me, what happens is, is once I deliver that story without a script once, twice, three times, four times, five times, it becomes ingrained in my mind about how to deliver it. And one thing that really helps me is actually standing up, Grant, visualizing the stage and moving to different parts of the stage as I tell that story because it anchors the next moment for me. And what I find is when I script out a story and learn it in that way, it sticks and it sticks so much so that I'm always around the same time length. I always know when to transition and how to do so. But if I just said, hey, I'm going to look at the broad structure that never works for me. On the flip side, I know people who go bang, 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 three or four quick points. Boom, they're off to the races. But the question I would ask yourself is if you are committed to your craft and mastery, Whoever you look up to as being world-class in your field, what do they do? How do they do it? Can you learn from them? And also, do you want to operate with intention? If so, what does that mean for you? Yeah, I would echo that the, uh, like, personally, I will do something similar where I would actually manuscript out a story, yeah. not from the sake of, I need to memorize this verbatim. Like I always use the analogy of like, if you are at some type of sporting event and they're singing the national anthem and someone butchers, butchers the lyrics, like everybody knows that because they know what the lyrics are supposed to be. Yeah. But if you are giving a presentation, you're telling a story and you forget a line or you tell the points out of order or whatever, like nobody knows, nobody's following along like, wait, 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 hang on, hang on. You said this. 
this and you meant to say that. Like nobody's tracking that. And so when you you tell a story, it doesn't need to be this like regurgitated script that you're actually absolutely know every single word um, because I think in certain cases it can become overpolished and I think we you know we've all seen speakers who they're telling a story or they're delivering a presentation and it just feels like they are literally just kind of regurgitating something and it there there's a, a massive disconnect there so uh, we always remind speakers like you're a human talking to a collection of other humans and so act like a human and so if the more formulaic the more robotic the more in your head you are the more you lose that connection with the audience so have I think having a, a script is powerful. Know it and know like because there's going to be certain parts of a story where like I um, like we we're using with the Jamie Foxx example of I know to tell it this way. I know to deliver this line because I know this works. And you know this is a I took this nine word sentence and I got it on the five words and these this is the way it has to be done because I know that that works. But there's other parts where you may, in the midst of a story, you know, take a quick little detour and try something out or kind of massage how you're, you're delivering it there. So again, some of that is just, it comes with reps and it, it comes with practice. Now, Rob, there's, um, there's a lot we've covered with stories, a lot more we could cover with stories, but let's put a bow on this. Like what, what do you want someone to, someone listening, they've gotten to this point in the episode and they're going like, all right, where do I go from here? Like what's the next step that they should be taking with their storytelling skills? Oh, really for we could do a part two, bro. Don't you? I'm like, oh, I've got so much. There's a lot of stuff there. I've got so much to add on that point. Can I just say one thing about your previous point? Yes. Just say one thing. Please. What I absolutely love is what you just said about if you mess up a line, your audience don't know your lines. When I used to do theater yeah. grant and I would miss a line, I would beat myself up. And I'd be like, that was a bad performance. Somebody would come up to me and go, Ravi. That was so impactful. That was your best performance so far. I'm like, what? But they don't know I missed that line. So, so funny. The way we judge ourselves on a script can really lead to it wreaking havoc. So disclaimer, works for me, but it doesn't have to work for you. So I love that, man. Um, Where do people go from here? Okay. Step one. Remember this, peeps. I heard this from a dude called Yaya Bakar once. And he said... When delivering a story, remember, it's designed to give your audience significance, not you significance. Mm. And a lot of the time we tell stories because we are deeply connected with them. But the question is, is does it serve the moment and the people that we need to solve a problem for? The second thing is start building your story bank. Five days, write it down. And then step three is pick one story you're going to start testing in your conversations and in your next presentation and build it out. Remember, Kevin Hart took 12 to 18 months to craft a 60-minute set. Say if you've got a two-minute story, do the math and think about if that's world-class, right? Then, hey, what does that mean for me? So test, tweak, and take that micro-moment Pull it into a micro story and begin to roadshow it. Mm, that's so good. I love that that first point there. Of uh, uh, are you the hero of your own story? Uh, and if you if you're telling a story that's just kind of, are you doing it in service of yourself? Or are you doing it in service of the audience? So I think that that's uh, so important to, to consider and remember. Uh, Rob, I always enjoy chatting with you. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, uh, I know you do one of the the main uh, marketing tools that you use for your speaking business is LinkedIn. So where where can we find you online? Oh, LinkedIn is where I hang out, people. So you can find me at. 
Ravi Rajani. I think it's that simple at Ravi Rajani. And yeah, man, come and hang out. Say what's up. Tell me what micro moment you turned into a micro story and let me know how it went for you, man. Awesome. Hey, and if you want to work closer with Ravi, if you've, you've learned something today, uh, we're going to definitely have to have him back on the podcast. But if you want to work with him, uh, definitely go check out the And uh, there you can schedule a call with our team, learn more about what we do, how we work with speakers, how you can work with Rob and help him uh, or how he can help you uh, build your speaking business and so that you can get booked and paid to speak. So Rob, always enjoy the conversation, man. Hope you have a great day. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Hey friend, are you ready to get serious about taking your speaking business to the next level? Maybe you are someone who is looking for ways to book more paid gigs, or maybe you're trying to figure out all the different things that go into building a successful speaking business. Or perhaps you are an experienced speaker who wants to scale your speaking business to multiple six figures. And so if that's you, I would encourage you to visit thespeakerlab.com slash apply. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash apply. I want you to book a free, no obligation call with our team. And if you're not quite ready to take that leap. I don't want you to hesitate in checking out all the free resources that we have available to you on our website, including this podcast. So head over to thespeakerlab.com. Again, thespeakerlab.com. Find hundreds of blog posts, how-to guides, podcast episodes, email scripts, proposal templates, and so much more. Finally, I got a big favor. I would love for you to leave us a rating or review for this podcast. We read every single one, and it also helps other speakers find valuable free resources that they can use to build their own speaking careers. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.